Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much, as always, for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs About Films. As always, it really is honestly super appreciated if you've listened once, twice, three times, or whatever. It really is all the same. If you're a regular listener, thank you. Thank you so, so much. Now, I did a revisit in October of Saw, directed by James Wan and Lee Winnell, and I, you may have noticed from that podcast, I'm a big big fan, not only of Saw, but of James Wan and Lee Whannell's work and have followed their, well, creative paths, should we say, since that first film, really. And um, I had a lot of people checked out the the first podcast that I did in, in October for Saw, the revisit that is, and, and some great comments, some lovely feedback that came back from that, sorry. And again, that is oh so appreciated. And thank you so much and glad that you enjoyed it. A lot of people as well were messaging to say, are you going to do the rest of them? Are you going to try and... And I was like, what could I do with the... You know, I thought, you know what, let's just let's just go for it. Because I was kind of um and nahring about whether to do, like, batch them together, like two and three, four and five, and this and that. But there's certain things within the Saw film... I, I, just, I just really dig this franchise. Granted, like I say, they do dip. There's, there's moments in there. There's, there's certain Saws that aren't as good as the other ones. And obviously, there is another one that's coming out this year. But, like, I thought, well, let's just, let's just kind of give each film its own its own revisit eventually like i'm not going to just next few weeks cram out the next eight films or whatever is nine films that we've had um from this franchise i'm just going to you know nice and breezy go through them as 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 time as time continues and this is it this is now the time for saw 2 or rather i'm saying now is the time for saw 2 so if you're a fan of the saw franchise rejoice because there will be more saw podcasts coming and i think Maybe maybe it's rather fitting knowing that Saw 10 is coming out. I would like to think that by October or whenever it is Saw 10 is due to come out, that I will have all of the Saw films at least spoken about. I've done Spiral a couple of times already, so I might not touch on that one again, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm just, just really, really excited to kind of go over Saw 2. Like For me, with Saw and, and Saw 2 in particular, it was the first time I can really remember getting quite excited about a sequel in the sense of like doing research online about like granted obviously i know like i was young in the star wars films like episode one two and three were coming out but like this for me was like at an age where i was really diving into like a bit more of, of like i said the horror side of things or just like really getting into films more so like appreciating the art and craft and stuff like that and so i remember being in like a library when i was quite young um for doing my i don't know what i was doing with some friends in the library but i was on the internet in the library and looking up details about Saw 2, as it had just been announced and such, and so I was really, really hooked. Already, as you can see, just how much the first film had imprinted on my little tiny mind, um, and just, like, really, really captivated me in this, like, this whole world, this this idea of someone that, you know, is sick of people just mis- mistreating life and this and that, or just not appreciating life, I should say, and then putting them in some kind of, like, gnarly circumstance trap or whatever to see if they can get out of it, you know, to, to kind of find the appreciation of life. And, and yeah, basically, I was really, really excited for Saw 2. I, I obviously was too young to see it at the cinema, but I was very much ready for uh, for Saw 2 to uh, to drop. And like I said, on I think I might have mentioned on the previous podcast, that the the, the, the opening weekend for, for Saw in 2004, you know, it, it, was, it was that successful that the sequel was, like, immediately greenlit. Um, obviously, unfortunately, when Ellen James Wan were quite busy doing and preparing for Dead Silence, I don't know if they were filming at the time. Um, that was their obviously next their next film together. Which, if you've not seen Dead Silence, it is like a much what it's a must watch. You know what I mean? Like if you've not caught Dead Silence, do check it out again. It's got obviously one of the lead actors in Saw Two and Donnie Wahlberg, who does feature in Dead Silence as well. But like, it's so good. It like takes all the I don't know all the all the qualities we should say of Billy the puppet and makes a whole film around that like kind of that well puppet idea kind of thing. I think I think Dead Silence is what uh, I, I don't I, I dare I say underappreciated, but I do think that it's one that like I feel that's just kind of gone off people's radar. So I'm bringing it back. So go watch Dead Silence. I'll, I'll maybe even look at doing that for October, like a revisit or something. But um, yeah, Dead Silence, that's what they were working on at the time. They weren't able to come back and direct, and Darren Lynn Boseman uh, had wrote a script called The Desperate, which then, obviously, before Saw was released, um, he was looking for like a studio to, to, to put it out there. But I think that it, was, it kept getting knocked back, basically. like this, this film, The Desperate, was... I think it was um, too violent. I think that's what a lot of studios were saying, that they didn't like some of the gore aspects of it and this and that. Um, but the script eventually would fall into the hands of a Mr. Greg Hoffman. Um, remember that surname? Remember that surname? Because you may be familiar with a character in the Saw franchise. 
with exactly that name. Um, and obviously he then showed it to Mark Berg and Oren, and Oren Kuhls, and apologies if I'm mispronouncing his name. Um, and then it was decided that eventually, yeah, with with you know changes and, and tweaks here and there, it could be then made into a Saw script. It could be made into Saw 2. Lee Winnell eventually became available to then come back and provide rewrites of the script. And I, I love that because it's so interesting to know that like there was a script that was out there that, you know, that obviously you could see that the producers and such were looking to make a Saw 2. It was a case of if they could find or even create the right script for it it just it's one of those like weird chance moments i would think that darren lynn boseman had wrote a script that had those kind of traits to it i even think that i read somewhere that darren lynn boseman when he received the call from i think it might have been greg hoffman or at least someone from lionsgate he thought that it was like some kind of like phone call to be in trouble that he'd plagiarized or at least like not mimics but it almost it was too close to saw there was a twist ending this and that and i do believe that he was uh, it was under the impression that when they first gave him the phone call to say hey do you want to do, do you, we, can, can we make the script into saw 2 that he was going to be told off but that's not the case because i could say the rest is history and darren lynn boseman then you know not only writing a really good script and, 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 and then co-writing it alongside with lee one l as well you can he does have that saw vibe to it so I'm, I'm quite interested i think that from what i understand that the actual original script the desperate it, there's there's similarities to what ended up obviously or certain things that did end up in saw 2 but i i from what i understand and i could be misspeaking that it actually did change quite a lot like it's just that the overarching idea was then captured and taken for saw 2 um but yeah like saw 2 did so well like super super well not only did it do well again at the box offices like saw 1 did um it got a much bigger budget compared to the first one like obviously this budget for saw 2 was four million dollars as opposed to its predecessor i believe it was about one million that saw got one 1.2 million something like that but it grossed at the box office 147.7 million so not too shabby really when you think about the that's i think that's why these saw films continue to get churned out you know what i mean because the budgets aren't high but the money they were racking in from audience and ticket sales and stuff was just absolutely mad like it had been daft for them to not make sequels i know that like there's kind of like uh, about sequels and such like there's no originality like can we not like for example just on a bit of a side tangent um like there was i read something this week on twitter or something about how many sequels are actually coming out in 2023 in comparison to an article that was released in 2001 that in 2001 they were saying that there was too many sequels coming out now in 2001 there were six films that were sequels coming out in 2023 you know including prequels sequels whatever it is it's related there's 16 i think i counted 16 or 17 sequels or even maybe more than that um that's that's staggering like I said, so i know that there is this kind of like oh my god they're just churning sequel out after sequel out but i think the early days of saw in particular when they're making this much money and people are interested and invested in this story particularly up to saw three i would say I, I can see why it is that they did continue to make the sequels i think i might have said in my previous podcast that i would say that they could have and probably should have ended it nicely at saw three i think after that it started to get just a little bit I don't know, like more about the traps than it was about the story. That there were elements, and they tried to obviously kind of go onto the backstory of John Kramer and how he became, why he became Jigsaw, this and that, which they do touch upon in Saw Two, which is one of my favorite aspects of this film. But I feel like they could have naturally closed it at Saw Three. But hey, I, who am I to say? Like I'm the one that's a sucker that's got all these on DVD, on Blu-ray, or whatever it is, Steelbook and stuff like that. So obviously, I'm a fan of the franchise, so I'm going to be sitting here and going over them and rewatch them as many times as possible. But yeah, it's it's one of those I say. I do feel like the franchise could have naturally ended a lot sooner. But like I say, when you see the money that these films were making. Yeah, well, what studio wouldn't be churning out sequels? Should we say? I mean, even in, in addition to the actual box office release and the fun and, and the money they got there from the box office in the first week of its actual DVD release when it came onto home home media and such, it sold over like three million units or something daft like that, making it Lionsgate's fastest selling DVD. So clearly, clearly, people were invested and interested in these Saw films. If you're a fan of horror, say 2004's Saw was something completely different. It was almost like that interest and intrigue as to what they can do next to carry on that, to carry on the Saw saga kind of thing, or to carry on the story, I should say. What can John Kramer's Jigsaw do with next victims and such? I just think it was just a really... I think this. I think the second one is probably the last really, really, really good sequel of Saw, which is the only sequel, really, I mean, at that time. It's the first sequel. There, like, it was. It's one of those where you see the argument of people saying that Saw 2 is better than Saw 1. In some cases, some people genuinely do believe that, and 
and I and I'm all for those kind of discussions. Me personally, I love love Saw One way too much. Um, to have any other Saw film kind of take the mantle of that. But I do think Saw 2 gives Saw 1 a really good run for its money. And that's what we're obviously going to go over in this particular podcast. And again, I've waffled on so much already, but I am so, I'm, I'm excited to go over like certain aspects of, of like the film itself, and mainly between you know Donnie Wahlberg's Detective Matthews and John Kramer's uh, and Toby Bell, John Kramer, the conversations and such that they have, because that for me is one of the standouts of this film, which makes it just more than the uh, aforementioned torture porn is what they keep saying because like i said there are there are traps in this film that i there's one in particular that i'm not i can't really watch too much because I, I just really and it might not be the one you're thinking of but i know there's a number of traps in this film that yes people do find quite difficult to watch i should say um one for me in particular as i say which i will come to but it's it, it, there is there is a story in this film you know what i mean like it's, it's not just like i say a case of i mean yeah we're here for the traps we're here to see what's going to unfold but i think there's just so there's there's extra layers in there like i said the, the main thing for me is having Jigsaw, John Kramer, be such a prominent figure in this one, such a lead character, as opposed to what he was in Saw 1, which was just obviously laying on the bathroom floor for the entirety of it. Um, I think there's a lot more um, understanding, a lot more depth, character development as well for John Kramer, and uh, I think they did a really good job with that, and that, that's, again, one of the highlights of this film for me that I'm looking forward to probably going over as uh, as waffly as I possibly can do. But before we dive into any of that, obviously, the podcast is available, as you know, on rss.com. It's also available on all of your podcast streaming sites, so Google, Apple, Spotify, this and that, wherever, whenever, as Shakira said, or whatever, <laughs> yeah, go give us a like and a follow on there, hit notification, all that jazz, leave us a review, because that too would be absolutely wonderful, jump onto Facebook, search Joe Blogs About Films and give us a like on there, jump onto Instagram as well, and search Joe Blogs About Films if you would like to, give us a follow to keep up to date with everything and everything regarding Joe Blogs About Films, but here we go then into this particular episode, revisiting Saw 2, which came out in 2005, and then every consecutive year there was a Saw up till 2010. 11, 10? Yeah, something along those lines anyways. But, you know, as I stated, Saw 2 is a, it's, it's a very good sequel. You know, it is really, really, really good. And I like that, the, the like I said, this idea of taking a script and then kind of reworking it. Maybe there's an argument to say, well, where, well, I was going to say maybe there's an argument for where's the sense of originality, but it was an original script that just got turned into a Saw film. So, and I think Darren Lynn Bosman knows his stuff. If we've seen anything, because he does direct Saw 2, 3 and 4, like he knows his way around a horror film. And then he came back to do Spiral, which... As much as people slagged off Spiral, I particularly really did dig Spiral. I thought it was a nice kind of blood relative, we should say, to the Saw franchise. I think that it was fine. It was good. It did what it did what it needed to do kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's almost like, I wouldn't say it brought new life, did Spiral, but it's kind of, if anything, got people talking about Saw again. So much so that we are now getting a Saw 10. So it did something anyways. But we're not here to talk about Spiral. We're here to talk about Saw 2, as I say, because... I'm going to try and split this up and going to try and maybe go over like story traps, this and that. But like I said, I do really, really think this is the best sequel to Saw. Like there's others that are down the line which are really good, but I do feel like this is like the the only very, very good one. Um, when it came to actually the script itself, only key cast and crew members were, who were involved with the film endings were given the fil- the full script, sorry. So like everyone else would only receive the first 88 pages, something like that. And if any particular page was rewritten... The old page was then shredded. Uh, members were also members of the team and the, and, and, and the cast and crew or whatever were also required to sign confidentiality agreements, requiring them not to release any plot details. Um, and I think reportedly there were four or five alternate endings that were shot in order to keep the ending a surprise, which is interesting because I was like, I wonder if they put that much effort into Saw 1's ending. Because that was, I mean, then again, I think it's because there's going to be an extra level of scrutiny, an extra level of fandom that want to know how this particularly is going to go down. In comparison to the first one, we didn't know anything about, well, we Saw was new to us, wasn't it? It was just something that was placed in front of us and gone, this is something new. It's directed by James Wan, Lee Wan L. If you liked Seven, if you liked all of that, you'll dig this. And like I said, the ending was a complete shock and a complete surprise. So I think that there is that element, a bit like when you watch an M. Night Shyamalan film now, where you're like, so what's the twist in this one going to be? So I guess that, yeah, there's going to be an extra tight-knit team around the ending when it comes to the, the Saw films, because they don't want to give anything away whatsoever. And it's like, just talking about the endings of Saw, which I probably will mention again when we get to it, whenever I do come to revisit it, but it got so, like, cliche that the Saw had twist endings they even started to use that in like the marketing front because i do believe it was saw five when like you know we've got the taglines like you know dare you see saw saw two was you know we dare you again or yes there will be bloods gets to saw five and they were like you won't believe how it ends and you're like really we're going that's what we're going on now i think that kind of says a lot for saw five because saw five gets a lot of flack because it's the story one 
But um, maybe that's why they were like, oh, people are going to be so... Maybe maybe not going to be too fussed about this one. Let's just tell them the ending's great. <laughs> let's just let's just say they won't guess how the ending's going to go down. So yeah, there's going to be, I guess, an extra uh, an extra say key part of the fandom is that wanting to work out how it's going to go down. And I think that the twist in this one's a pretty good one because it's like a it's almost like a double twist in a way. You know, like we'll, we'll come to obviously that when we get there. But I I did feel that they kind of definitely thought outside the box in that one. They were like, well, you know, Jigsaw was there on the floor in the first one. What can we do to surprise fans and surprise like obviously to trick and twist on the characters within this one in particular, obviously detective Matthews and his son, Daniel. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting enough that they, they kind of really did go, you know, full on to make sure that the ending was a surprise. Um, and, and again, in terms of script work and such, much like Carrie Elwes's character in the first saw, obviously Dr. Gordon, the actors in saw two were allowed to like mix up the dialogue and improvise when they felt they needed to, or felt like they could do making obviously for me anyways, more believable portrayals of the characters in certain situations. Cause it's all right. Giving someone a script, but it's not until obviously that you're actually in that moment, I guess, that you really kind of know what your character necessarily would do or how they would react and behave in in these in the circumstances. I mean, you're talking about you know the main premise of this particular film, obviously for Saw Two, is that there is a bunch of characters in a house. That's the thing for this. I'm not even going over the synopsis of the film, but if you've seen the film, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But yeah, so like Saw Two is essentially just revolving around characters in a house they're breathing this deadly nerve gas that obviously over the course of a few hours, it will kill them should they not get the antidote. And I think they've got three hours to last in this house full of traps, full of tricks and turns and such, obviously. And then the doors will open, but it's a case of they have to find the antidote for that. On top of all of that, you've got obviously the police and co, which have managed to track down Jigsaw at his location and essentially trying to arrest him. But before they can do that, he wants to play a game with detective Matthews, knowing that he's captured and trapped his son in this house in order to see him again, all Detective Matthews has to do is sit and talk to Jigsaw, which, as I've already stated, that, for me, is one of the highlights of this film. And, and even, in fact, like, Donnie Wahlberg and John Kramer worked to... Donnie Wahlberg and Tobin Bell, not John Kramer, that was his character, Donnie Wahlberg and, and Tobin Bell worked together to make the scenes and sequences of those two sat together, like, extra intense. Um, that I get, I've said many times already this is one of the highlights of the film and it makes the film work super well is those two literally just it's just cutting back from one another I like what they do with the framework as well obviously because they'll take they'll, they'll focus and have them you know there's like a wide shot at times as well but I like these kind of like moments where the camera or like the shots and sequences on, on screen like Saw lights do they speed things up or they like kind of merge like a, a flash up like a, a, a fast forwardy kind of movement of the character on top of the actual stationary still sequence that you're watching like it's stuff like that that i really dig about the saw films and like i said the constant rotating and spinning and the tracking shots and stuff like that it's something that i really do enjoy with the saw film that as well as like the color scheme the color palette because like before i do dive into a bit more about donnie Wahlberg and tobin bell in this but like the opening trap obviously is the reverse uh, not the reverse bear trap it's the venus fly trap obviously the head mask or whatever and um, that one's like, it's so funny because it, it starts off and it's like green. Everything and everything is green. And I, I, I the Saw films get gra- like progressively and gradually greener. I think that Spiral was the less green. Even Saw 1 has elements of green in there for, for the color palette and color scheme. But again, I would say Saw 1's more blue than it is green. And then Saw 2, 3, and 4 in particular, 100% so green. Um, but I, I like it though. Like it, it kind of dingy, isn't it? It makes you feel a little bit, I don't know, dirty, if that's the right word. Like I think that, like I said, that, that opening trap with, you know, the headmaster, the Venus flytrap or whatever, it's, it's one of those where straight away you're brought into it. Like I say, saw one, you're thrown straight into the actual, the setting, you know, the set piece of obviously the bathroom. Whereas this, it's like, it's obviously a homage or at least, you know, kind of nodding to the reverse bear trap, as I've just not long mentioned there. Like obviously this one-off trap that Amanda was in, this is just another one-off trap. Just getting us into that universe again, bringing us back into right, here we go then. There's going to be blood, there's going to be traps. It's Saw 2. And I really do like that opening trap. I say, I think it's one of those again, when you watched it, like, you know, and you just think about obviously having the key behind your eye, you've got to get the key out of there to, to then unlatch yourself and save yourself. It is such a, Oh, like wincy kind of trap, isn't it? It's like, could you do it? And like I say, with the music in this as well, obviously that gradually builds up and it's again, that industrial sound throughout the film itself is so, so good in Saw 2 in particular, but like, each each time we get a close up shot of him putting the little like 
knife or whatever to his eye. Um, <laughs> like the, the sharp shriek that you hear each time, obviously from the score, it's like it adds that extra weight to it. And you're like, is he gonna, is he gonna? No, he's not, he's dead. <laughs> like, it's just really, really, like I said, a really great, ingenious trap. And I, I do think props to obviously the people that created obviously these traps, in particular David Hackle. He, we did go on to direct Soft, but he was the film's production designer for, for Saw 2. And it took three weeks to construct 27 sets on a single soundstage and, and and obviously the traps themselves and such. So it's just really, really creative. I think that, like I said, that first introduction back into Saw, we've got the classic, as I said, the classic sounds and themes of Saw. And, and I like the fact of rather than like in the first one, when you've just got like the darkness and the, the, the light from uh, that's attached to the key that's floating over Adam in the bath. In this one, we just get a light bulb, whether obviously the, the, it's from the point of view of, of, of Michael, whoever his name is, sorry, when he up, obviously he's opening his eyes and seeing that light in front of him just keeps fading in and out before he does finally wake up and watch that tape, obviously, from Jigsaw. I always think with these things as well, like, you'll notice within this within this particular trap that, obviously, to start the timer, he's attached to... Yeah, the timer's obviously... The wire is attached to his trap, so when he pulls it, it, come, like, detaches, and then the, the timer starts. That's obviously on the trap itself. Like... What if he'd have like fell over from his chair? You know, and he's asleep, unconscious. If he just fell off like and started the time, I mean, would Jigsaw intervene? You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things. It happens quite a lot in the Saw films where they like attach something, they pull it, and then that's when the timer starts. Like, what if they just inadvertently didn't, you know, just did it by accident or something? I just think like, ah, oh, just Jigsaw's like, ah, oh, well, they'll not wake up and know. Then will they? I don't know. But it's just a, a really great trap. It's one of those again that just makes you think like, ah, oh, well, I know for a fact that I couldn't do. It. I think that the outcome would be the same. Just throw everything on the floor, just wait and just cry. Like, because that is just the worst, worst thing imaginable. So anything to do with eyes. No, nah, man, not at all. But back to obviously Donnie Wahlberg and Tobin Bell, as I say, they, they worked it all out in, to make these scenes extra tense. Like, with Jigsaw only having about four or five lines in Saw 1 or whatever it was, and laid on the floor for like 95% of it, it was so nice for me to, to see the stark contrast of Jigsaw being so prominent, as I've already said, within the sequel. Like, the conversations that those two have within this easily some of the franchise's better moments the dialogue within saws the saw films as they go on probably does get a little bit weaker or there's some like kind of cheesy moments but i would say that both performances like i said from tobin bell and donnie Wahlberg, is they're just they're just so believable just so like like for donnie Wahlberg's character who's going through that dilemma of obviously this this cop that's you know corrupt like something that the films do tackle you know puts people away kind of frames them for this and that like he's just not he's just, he's just not a nice guy he's even like kind of you know a bit of a bit of a bad father a bit of a lousy father the way that he treats his son as well like the last thing he says is have an argument about him being kind of banged up or whatever and telling him to go back to his mum's this and that there's there's guilt there and it's like jigsaw says throughout it's like now that i've got your son it's only that you it's only that you think he's going to die that he started to forgive all the sins it's like amazing that people only do that or like what it is that you know makes those relationships work this and that and you know donnie warby rightly says like well now i've always loved him regardless of what you're going to say so i do like that build-up and it's that thing again of it's, it's a bit like carrie elwes in the first film where it's like you start off calm and then progressively progressively as things start to escalate you know the cctv in this warehouse that john kramer uses obviously to see into the house and such as that continues and as, as, as he can see everything kind of boiling over the traps that people have been forced into the situations that his son's been find, you know, finding and he's been chased down by, is his name Xavier? I think his name is or whatever the, the big guy anyways, it's just losing his marbles as the film goes on, obviously like just wanting to get the antidote and stuff like Donnie Wahlberg's detective Matthews is easily going to come to a boiling point, a breaking point. And he does so obviously, even though John Kramer simply said, all you have to do is, is sit and talk to me. That's literally it. But it's that thing again of the insightfulness, or I should say, or like the 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 the, the genius that is John Kramer, or like how clever he actually is. That he knows there is no way that Detective Matthews is going to sit there. Like he has the ability to to know and to guess, not even guess, just to not leave anything to chance whatsoever. Like he knows that there is not a chance in hell that for however long it is, ninety minutes or whatever, the time is ticking down or whatever. That, that Detective Matthews will just sit there and talk to him. Like he says throughout, doesn't he? He's like, you know, I, you, you've asked me to talk, but you're not listening, kind of thing. You're not listening to what I'm saying. We're trying to have a discussion, a conversation, why it is. And, and this, again, obviously, is our first, as, a, as an audience, obviously, looking in, obviously, into this character of John Kramer. This is where we first learn everything about him. Obviously, we know that he had frontal lobe, inoperable tumour or whatever. He's got cancer, obviously, in the first one, which is why he was sick and tired of people, you know, not appreciating their life. But this film explores that more so. And I think that, again, is such a great understanding for us to know why it is that he is the way he is. And it's also like... 
not saying that you sympathize. Yeah, not saying that you sympathize with them necessarily because as Donnie Wahlberg says, you know, like putting a gun to someone's head and forcing them to to pull the trigger is still murder. Regardless of you saying you've never killed anyone, you've put people in situations that has led them to die. So therefore, you are accountable for that kind of thing. Like you are responsible for these people's deaths. But like I think that it's it's an interesting approach to give someone such such a disease that that we as you know regular people obviously that throughout know about. It's say cancer is something that it just it, like I say what is it one in three people or something like that. It's one of those where we instantly it's a horrible disease, you know. So to have someone then use that as a one of the reasons I'll say because they do explore more about his backstory, but it's one of the reasons why he does end up becoming jigsaw like like he said it's not the it's not the cancer itself it's the fact that he drove himself to kill himself obviously on the back of of the diagnosis like he couldn't live with it obviously he tried to kill himself he drove his car off a cliff it's surviving that that made him appreciate life even more so like i say like 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 john kramer keeps saying throughout is that the clock is ticking everyone's clock is ticking but most people don't have the knowledge as to when their clock is going to stop ticking whereas when you're told you've only got x amount of days x amount of years or whatever it is to live that takes that completely away and suddenly you start to really think about things like the the drink of water that you're having this could be my last you know i mean it's this stuff like that so i do like that approach to it and like he says it's the fact that i tried to kill myself didn't work you see the you see the shot of him obviously pulling out like the the metal from his from his stomach or whatever like the the shrapnel or whatever that, that is caused from the car crash and then it's again, it's kind of, he was reborn in that moment. You know, that's when Jigsaw probably was born. That's when he was pushed to a certain limit. And it's like, right, well, how how, how else? Who else would do this to, to stay alive kind of thing? So I do like what they do with that. Like I said, the whole conversation between the two of them is so engaging. Like it's not at all, it, it's what, you know, in films sometimes pad things out and you're like, oh my God, this is just kind of taking me straight out of it. The conversation's so interesting, so intriguing between the two of them, as I say, like John Kramer has got, Donnie Wahlberg, Detective Matthews, in the palm of his hands, kind of literally can do anything he wants with him. He knows because he knows how he's going to react. He knows that Detective Matthews is say he's not a good he's not a good police officer. He will he will break the rules basically to 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 get a conviction to essentially get his own way. So he knows that it's only a matter of time before I'm going to win this and he's going to lose. And I know where this is going to go next because obviously we we leave Donnie Wahlberg chained up in the same bathroom from the first one by the end of this film. So. I do think, and it's just, just on a side note, like it's so, for me, like Donnie Wahlberg, like part of like New Kids on the Block or whatever, like do it, seeing him in like all these horror films, I'm like this is just mad. That to me is like such a surreal thing, but hey, all for it, because I do think that Donnie Wahlberg is excessive, like, really good, really good in this. Like I think that Wahlberg went on to say that the relationship, when they first were going over the script and such between Eric and Jigsaw, it was a little bit too dicey and they should emphasize the need that the, the, the Eric's need to sit with Jigsaw to rescue his son, like that needs to be emphasised. I've already touched upon that already because he does say it about so many times as Jigsaw, like that all you have to do is sit with me and you'll find your son in a safe and secure place or whatever it is. He's in a safe place. Uh, I love the play on words with that, with what happens with his son at the end. Like I love that play on words. Like I just think it's, when he says it in the film the first time, if you're a first time viewer, you don't think too much of it. You're like, okay, he's keeping him held. So obviously we think he's in this house. He's in a safe place or whatever. We don't think anything of it. And then when the twist comes at the end, you're like, oh my goodness, like genius, absolutely genius. And and these these things about obviously what, what you know Warburg was saying about trying to emphasize that desire, that that need, trying to make it a bit more intense. Tobin Bell was like on board for all of that. Like really and, and the and the thing as well I read is that Tobin Bell didn't have to return for this. Like I think that he wasn't expected to anyways. Like I, can you imagine Jigsaw being played by someone else? Obviously I know he was in the first one, but like we said, he was only in it for like a few minutes, if that kind of thing at the end. Like it wouldn't have been too hard to recast and go on from there. And it'd have been one of those maybe different kind of stories and folklore of like, oh, the guy who was Jigsaw actually wasn't Jigsaw in the you know what I mean? Like as in actors that have played different roles and such. So I, I think that this for me is the film though that made Tobin Bell a horror staple. You know what I mean? Like it's then it then went on and it just it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and grew and grew and grew with the fan base. But I think it's because of his performance in this one, because he was so prominent in this film, that's what made him such a horror icon. And I think it's wonderful what he did in this. Like I really do think his performance is excellent. Like this this ill character that's it's, it's, it's some of the, some of the things in his mannerisms that he does himself. Like he's he's a he's a killer. Obviously, he's a, he's, a, he's the jigsaw killer. He's got these police and SWAT all around him. And yet it's the moments when he's like, obviously, not necessarily being sinister, but he'll, he'll have his kind of chats with Detective Matthews and then he'll be like, 
oh, would you care to get me like a, a glass of water? Like I'd, I'd very much appreciate it. Again, not only showcasing that he's got Detective Matthews where he wants him, but I think it's almost like it's another test itself to see just what Detective Matthews will do in response to that because he could have easily just been like, no, F off kind of thing. Or like, you know, then could have caused maybe some kind of outburst reaction from him at those those kind of moments. But it does, it's those moments where like John Kramer's either doing nothing or saying little that I find more more interesting, more investing. Because I'm like, what's he, what's he doing? His, his mind works different to ours. So like, you know, like when Detective Matthews is ripping up his all his work and slamming it, trying to provoke a reaction from out of you know, Jigsaw himself, John Kramer, he's just sat there watching him, just like, well, it's going to be hard to get a conviction without getting all this stuff, like, and then, again, winding him up, winding him up, saying, you know, this is going to happen to your son, blah, 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 just, just waiting, because he knows, he knows exactly what Donnie Wahlberg's Detective Matthews is going to do next, like, he just, he, he figures it out that eventually, I, we will end up going to the house, and he will learn that everything that's been going on on those screens isn't actually live, which, again, another lovely twist like come on just such a you imagine, imagine when you first saw that you're like holy heck like it's it's all it's not even live what we're watching is a recording that is absolute madness but yeah really really um like i said those two together absolutely fantastic i believe as well they would like the the they'd, they'd improvise stuff on the set together as well they'd, they'd you know they'd, they'd finish shooting they'd go over the, the next scenes or whatever just wonderful to work like it seemed like they had a great like well you can see on screen they're a great partnership together they worked really really well together um the other thing as well in terms of the script is that hoffman uh greg hoffman in an interview with fangoria said that they listened to fans suggestions for instance they um when it came to like the killings and the traps themselves rather than only showing the aftermath of a character violently dying in a flashback, um, they would allow it to unfold on the screen as it happened, which was in, like I say, from the saw, it was most of the violence was pretty much implied off screen, which is why, like, it is a horror, but I always look at Saw 1 as more of, like, a psychological thriller than it is anything else. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a horror, but the violence itself, like, you think you look about, you look at, you look at when Carrie Elwes is sawing off his foot or whatever, there are two shots in that sequence where you see the foot being sawn. You don't, we don't follow it. And I'm not saying we should have followed it. I think it's, again, it's the thing of your mind does the rest of it for you. You know, you don't have to see it. So maybe, maybe I, I think that's where the franchise went wrong in, in, in some way. Like, I think that it works for this because there's nothing in this where I think, Oh God, that's, that's too much. But like Saw 4, for example, which when I do come to, I'm dreading that one because I found Saw 4 just quite overbearable, like in terms of the actual horror itself. Like I can see why people were like, this is, this is too much because I, even I felt like some of the traps in there, we didn't need to see as much as we ended up doing in those kind of films. Just on a quick side note as well about Hoffman, uh, Greg Hoffman, like he tragically passed away in, I think it was the, the same year of Saw coming out, like either that or just the year after. And I find that quite tragic because like um, he never got to see the franchise, like grow and become what it has. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, he, he got it on, got things in motion and such and, and made Saw 2 happen and, and go on from there. Obviously, he was attached to the first one as well, but it's such a shame that he never got to see just how big and how popular this franchise got. So, yeah, but I do like what they did, obviously, by you know naming uh, Mark Hoffman's character after Hoffman. I thought it was a little nice touch, but just a great shame, really great shame. Um, but the other thing as well with this is that because of the larger budget, obviously, that the the actual puppet was upgraded. Billy was given like remote controlled eyes and stuff like that, and and a, a servo driven mouth and stuff. So, yeah, it was. Um, it, you could see, like I said, the, the the scale of this film is. I mean, you don't have to look at the set. You know, what I mean, like it's a house for goodness' sake. It's a house full of traps, full of bigger cast as well. You know, there's like what is it, eight, seven, eight people or something in this house. Like it is such a bigger a bigger scale than the first one being the bathroom. And I think they shot the first one in what, like what was it two weeks or something? I said 18 days or something on the last podcast, but yeah, it's absolute madness really when it came to, um, yeah, the actual scope and scale of this film, because like I say, even though the budget was not as massive as what you can get in other films, it's still bigger than saw one. And, and we'll, we'll come to obviously the traps now in fairness, because there's some absolute gems in this film. I've already mentioned obviously the, the Venus flytrap and such, but like I think the one that everyone comes to in Saw 2, which will get it out of the way because people don't really like it. Well, not that they don't like it, it's that they can't watch it, which weirdly for me is the one that I'm like, yeah, okay, take it or leave it, but it's the needle, the needle room or the needle pit. Um and it, oh just a quick one as well, obviously, Shawnee Smith returning for Amanda in Saw 2 was was just great. Like she I, I mean just having her back, obviously, before we knew what was going to happen and the twist and that she was going to take over the the mantle and become the next jigsaw, this and that. I thought it was wonderful. I think it was really ace that she came back for it. And I've heard as well, I believe it's correct that she's going to be coming back for Saw 10. So again, I expect flashbacks, this and that with that. 
But like, you know, she's thrown into a needle pit in this, which obviously is meant for, I swear his name's Xavier or, or, or something like that. I should really have checked this before I came back. I've got all the characters' names down. Let's have a look. It is Xavier. I was right. There we go. But yes, that trap was actually intended for Xavier. And there's things within these characters, because obviously we know that all of these characters are tied to Donnie Wahlberg's Eric Matthews. Like he put every single one of them away. The only person in this trap, in this, in this house, that hasn't been put in prison is his son. Yeah, he's been in trouble a few times with the police, but never been actually served served time behind bars. But this is that's the that's like the the, the twist of it all, really, for these characters that oh my god, we're with the son of the person that's bloody put us away and kept us away, kind of thing. So there's obviously going to be a bit of like I said, more intense on Donnie Wahlberg's side, Eric Matthews, because he knows his son is playing a game with a bunch of people that absolutely want want to see Donnie Wahlberg like either dead or pay back for, for what he did to them kind of thing so what they could do to his son is imaginable you know what I mean but like the needle pit itself was actually was meant to be for as I say Xavier it's just that because he's such a, a scumbag and, and, and a sleet or whatever it is you know like you know kind of in a way a coward when it came to this trap because he just picked up someone obviously just grabbing the first person he sees which is Shawnee Smith obviously whether whether it's because he knows that Amanda been a bit of been done drugs before whatever junkie before just throws her into this pit which is the it's the noise isn't it let's be honest when she lands in it and it's the crunch and you're like oh my goodness that must be absolutely and these needles don't look nice either they, they, they look pretty pretty grungy you know what i mean like and in order for this to be done safely behind the scenes obviously like four people over a period of four days had to remove needle tips from the syringes and replace them with fiber optic tips uh, and I think in the end, they modified about 120,000 fake needles for this particular scene. There's a great behind-the-scenes feature on the DVD, on the Blu-ray or whatever that you should definitely check out as well, uh, if you can handle it, of course. It, in fairness, watch that. It might make you feel a bit better. If you can't handle that trap, just watch how it's made. It might make you feel a little bit better. It might make you be able to, uh, yeah, deal with it. I mean, saying that, the trap that I want to mention in a second, I think I watched behind the scenes of that and it still still doesn't help. Um, but like the 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 number was insufficient when it came to the actual um the actual pit. Like they filled it up, filled it up as much as they could, but it just wasn't it just they just the, the the hole was like too big and so it didn't look like there was many needles in there. So it had to be filled with styrofoam and other materials to make it appear to have more needles. So obviously they put that at the bottom and then they put the needles on top of it. Um and then the needles that they put into obviously Shawnee Smith were actually blunted syringes stuck onto padding under her clothing. Uh, and for certain shots, like they use fake arms and stuff like that. But when shooting it, one of the more one of the more unfortunate things about this particular obviously trap was that a handful of real needles did fall into the pit. It caused the crew to halt filming for however long to find these needles before filming could commence, and they were literally searching for needles in a needle pit. Like, can you imagine that? Like, you spent all this time, and then four pesky needles end up falling in, and you've got to, like, actually find them. It's, um, yeah, it, it's... That trap, I can see why people find it, you know, a bit a bit much to watch. And, like, just speaking, uh, before I dive into any more of the traps, like, the thing with Saw 2 as well, for me, is that this is the one of the last times they feel like traps, other than, obviously, when we, what we get in Spiral and such, or maybe some of the... There's, there's the odd ones and such, but, like... My main issue with the Saw franchise, or particularly what they do with the traps, is that they become like tests. Like you've got one person just like walking around, and then they'll be you know, like 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 we'll, we'll come to in like Saw three and Saw four in particular, even five as well. I think um, you know it's like a, oh no, not five, sorry, definitely three and four, but just a couple of people just like walking around, and there's other people in traps, and they've got to decide what to do with them. Like I just didn't, I, I don't, I didn't like. I like this idea of having a bunch of people in a bigger scale, like like a space, you know. And then there's rooms that someone's got to go in traps in. Like, obviously, you've got the furnace trap in this one as well, which I'd hate to be in that situation, but it's mad that, like, obviously, that that is a trap in this. I, say, I believe as well that the original idea for, like, the furnace trap, it came from having it being a crematorium uh, at some point, like the house having been a crematorium at some point, but this would mean they would have to change the actual hall exterior, the, the house idea itself. They'd have to make it into a funeral parlour, which... I'm surprised in a way that Saw have not done that actually down the line because the thing of the beauty again with like the Saw and the team behind Saw is that any ideas that they have that they don't end up using in maybe the film they're on it ends up coming back around in a later film anyway so the fact that they've not really been yeah they've been in a morgue I think uh, for Saw 4 I think it was one of the traps in there it's obviously like a, a morgue itself but yeah, like it was interesting to know that, that that was essentially meant to be like a crematorium furnace, basically. And it's just that they changed it so that the furnace then would be part of the house's boiler system. Which, again, great little twist, great little take on that. I tried to make it, you know, relevant to having it in a house. And it's one of the, it's, it's again, it's one of the more, I'd say, more frightening aspects of the film, I, sh I would say, than, than maybe horrifying. Because 
being burnt alive is not is not pretty. It's not it's not not nice. It's just I think again it it all comes down to the actor's performance and portrayal of that. Like his screams, his cries, and such is what makes it quite quite hard to watch that one. But for me personally, out of this entire film, uh, the one trap that I really really don't like and that I can't watch is the hand trap. Uh, we're going to call it the hand trap, uh, which the character obviously the, the 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 character Addison, her name is. She puts her hands into two holes which are obviously made of razor blades that close on her hands and then any attempt to withdraw the hand from the trap, it'll just cut her hand open, cause her to bleed to death. And like David Hackle uh, commented that the character didn't actually have to put, like this is this is such a cool thing because you can see this in the film, but David Hackle has said that this character, like the irony of this is that she didn't have to, or whoever, again, this, this trap, I think... Um, that she picks up a tape and she throws it, and I want to say it could have been Amanda's because obviously she's famously known for like cutting her cutting her wrists and such. As we see in the flashback in the film, but that's I'm just digressing there. Sorry, but like this trap, the character does not have to put their hands in to get the the antidote out. Sorry, like the 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 wide shot and the frame as we see her put her hands in, you'll see on the outside there is a contraption that's got a um, a lock and a key. Just it's just a, on a chain. If she'd have just walked round the box, the glass box, and, and all she had to do was pluck it out, and then that was it. Job done. Literally, you don't have to put your hands through it. Um, it's stuff like that, again, just showing you how clever John Kramer and Jigsaw is. He's always one step ahead of you. Like, he just, again, just knows how human human instinct works kind of thing. This, this Obviously, this character has walked in there, seen the antidote, put the hands straight in, and then they can't get their hands out. I think, for me, the, the bit that's more like, I'm like, why have you done that? Is if she puts one hand in, and then can't get it out, and then decides to put the other hand in the other hole. So I don't just she could have just put your other just put the left hand up where your right hand is, and just try and push the blades down so you can just get your. Oh my god, this trap though, honestly, I really really struggle watching. I don't know. There's this there's this trap, and there's a trap. There's a few. There's a fair few traps in Saw Four that I really really struggle with, but I don't know why it is because I've seen how they make this, and it's just they're just rubber blades. That's literally it. They are just rubber blades. But I think again, it's the idea of. Ah, skin being cut, you know, being this trap. I really, really struggle with this one. But as I say, if the character had thought about it, and it, well, I know they're not thinking clearly because your your emotions are all over the place, kind of thing. But if she'd have thought about it, she could have just walked around that glass box and picked up the key and got the antidote that way. Madness. The other thing as well that I've not really spoke about is that the fact of obviously the, the tape that they receive, um, and before that even a nice little touch here. Sorry, before that is obviously before Amanda finds that tape and plays it to everyone, and you know you get the whole greetings like and welcome, like right now you don't know where you are, blah 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 from Jigsaw, but like she's laid on the floor unconscious and obviously wakes up and she's the last person to wake up and start like causing a scene, looking for looking for any kind of clues or whatever. Obviously she's already involved in part of the game itself with Jigsaw. Like he was in Saw 1, he was laid on the floor unconscious and he's the one that gets up at the end, obviously reveals it all. Like she is the one in this uh, in this Saw film. Like I say, it's just a nice little contrast. I know it's not the same reveal or anything, but it's just nice that both Jigsaw killers, should we say, were laid on the floor to uh, to begin with, obviously, in these Saw films. So nice little touch. Uh, but obviously the other part that I've not mentioned, sorry, just touching back to that, is that obviously in the, in the tape that's revealed is that Everyone has the combination in the back of their minds, is what Jigsaw says. The, the 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 clue to the combination you can find them over the over the rainbow. Obviously, the the twist there being that everyone has got a number on the back of their neck, which equates to the 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 uh, code for this this safe that's in front of them. That's got some of the at least one of the antidotes in there. Uh, and the clue, obviously, there is obviously the the, the different colours. So just don't go by the colour of the rainbow, and you'll be able to get the get it out that way. It's only when Xavier realizes this after taking down. Uh, it's Jonas, the character that he hits with that bloody baseball bat full of nails. Madness, absolutely. Like Xavier's character, just he just goes on. It's a similar one again, like not not in the sense of like Carrie Elwes as Lawrence Gordon, but he just becomes just ag- aggressive, more aggressive as the film goes on, more terrifying. Like it makes me laugh in this film when he's like obviously trying to get Amanda and Daniel, and then they 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 obviously meet each other, and he's like pointing the knife at them. He's like, "Do not run or whatever." It's like. If someone's looking at me like that and someone's pointing a knife at me covered in bloods like that, I don't think saying don't run is going to keep me from running. And, and, and as you see, they do start to run. But this is where it comes to like one of my favourite parts of this film. And, and of course, it, of course it is because I'm a big fan of the first one. But I love the fact that in this Saw, in Saw 2, that is, that they end up going back to the bathroom from Saw 1. Like, it's just something that I was not expecting them to do. And I remember as a kid, obviously, when one of my dad's friends had seen Saw 2 at the cinema, and I had to wait a fair bit to watch the second one, but I remember asking him, like, straight up being like, 
do they go back to the bathroom from saw one so i already knew that was coming but for me seeing that and seeing and having again great work with the cameras like again having that that open shot once again of like the lights coming on after the lights have been flicked on like exactly the same shot and sequence as what they did in saw one i absolutely like just genius and then seeing what's left of these characters obviously the foot's there as well obviously it's decaying these characters are decaying like the bathroom is just an absolute bloodbath and the actual the the set itself um had to be recreated for saw 2 they didn't i think it was obviously taken down from from saw 1 and and there and and therefore had to had to do it all again for saw 2 but it's just something that i really really did enjoy uh, them doing is revisiting and going back to obviously the first the, the bathroom from the first one um kind of like a nice pay like a payback or at least payoff for something for me anyways like i think that like just the detail and such and having like the the montage and and the uh, the audio play from some of the sequences from the first one you know you've got like adam's voice zepp's voice dr gordon screaming as he does and such as these characters obviously amanda and daniel are obviously in there and then you get like the the hello zep the hello zep score let's be honest is just fantastic and the classic jigsaw theme saw theme i should say like when that comes in obviously when xavier's trying to get the number off the back of his neck by doing that he's cutting off the back of his neck with a knife um it's again it's like it did it didn't like probably have this doesn't have the same effect as obviously uh well this is this 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 comes back to what we were saying before obviously about hoffman saying that instead of cutting away and having the violence off screen we do see him take the back of his neck off with the knife because like i said we at the start we don't really see it then it just keeps like flashing doing those speedy kind of back and forth back and forth back and forth as he removes that part of his skin whereas in saw one obviously when the guy's when carrie elwes is hacking off his foot just a couple of shots, and then it, if anything, it's it's the reaction of Adam and the reaction of Doctor Gordon as that's happening. Where I do find that those moments probably are more impactful when you say you don't see it. I mean, we do get those those shots of of Shawnee Smith's Amanda's like absolutely aghast that this guy in front of him is that chuffing mental or whatever that he's at that breaking point that he's just cut the back of his neck off. And then the floppy bit of skin he just pops in his pocket, saving that for later. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's crackers. And then the twist there, obviously, that comes with this film is that obviously that Daniel, the, the, sorry, that the actual sequences that were seen in the house, it is not live. It is all recorded. It's on play. They they led to another house where there's a bunch of VH, obviously a bunch of video players. They press pause. It feeds back to where the the, the SWAT team are and such and and Kerry and such and everyone and Rigo there. Kerry, sorry, played by Dina Mayer. Um, you know, they realise it's not live and then the timer cuts down and there's Daniel just sat there with obviously breathing apparatus on in a safe. He is literally in a safe place. While this is all occurring, Detective Matthews has obviously beaten up John Kramer to an absolute pulp and he's taken him to the house that's obviously already been and done, you know, been and gone kind of thing. All the characters are dead there, he can't find his son. Lo and behold, he is then left to die at the, in the shackles as Amanda reveals that she has been working with Jigsaw, um, yeah, since since escaping a trap. You know what I mean? She's she's been she's met death, she's faced death, and now she's she's found a father figure, a teacher, and she is the one that will carry on his his work. And it's just uh, it's like a gut punch, isn't it? Really, for, especially for Detective Matthews, because this this is one of those like shrouding mysteries of the Saw franchise. Is like what actually happened to his son? You know, well, we know that he's safe, obviously, that he does get out of it, but like. We never really touch upon that again, obviously, and Detective Matthews, it's not the last time that we're going to see him in the Saw franchise, but I felt this was such a great way of ending the film. Again, just that like build-up, you get the Hello Zep music again, like they did in the first one. The whole flashbacks and cuts of obviously how he is and how and who Detective Matthews is, and the, the, the thing again of John Kramer saying all in all, just sit, just bloody sit down and talk to me. That's all you have to do, and you'll see your son again. But Detective Matthews isn't that kind of police officer. He's not the one. He's like like John Kramer says. He's getting beaten up and stuff. He's like that's then now there's a Detective Matthews they gave medals to because that's who he is. That's exactly, you know, the, the punishment is 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 him getting away with what he has done his entire life. Not only is he like I say not a very good police officer, he's just not a great guy either. Like I say, he's he's not appreciating his life. He's not appreciating the loved ones around him. Therefore, you are now going to die for this. Just yeah. Obviously, they leave it kind of ambiguous at the ending because he's just left in the bathroom. But it's such a great film. I say, I know I've I've waffled on a fair bit there. I've nearly gone on for just just what just under an hour or so about Saw Two, and I've tried to kind of cut it down as much as I possibly can. I kind of go over the film without just regurgitating the plot. But I think Saw Two is such a great, such a great um, sequel. I'm just trying to think of any other traps I've not really given much uh, notice to or much talking about, but. I'm just thinking in the house. There's, 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 there's plenty. I've, I've discussed plenty there. I'm not going to kind of revisit and such, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing going over the Saw films. But it is easy to see after this again why people were so invested and so ready and, and just wanting more Saw films to see what could happen next with the franchise. And 
I just think that personally they could have maybe ended it at three and then revisited it maybe and done a couple of sequels. But I think every year, I think it just became a stable, a Halloween stable, didn't it? And that's fine, you know what I mean? That's absolutely fine. Um, but I really do. I can see why people do prefer Saw 2. There's a, there is a lot more going off. There's a lot more taken. I do feel like, say, you could argue that the pace is much better in Saw 2 because there's so many more characters. There's so many different locations. Not only do you have the house, but you've got obviously the, the location that Jigsaw's in his workshop and seeing all his like, work and what he's doing is his drawings and such, his creations itself. You know, you get to see that side of it as well. You've, you've, you know, there, there's a lot. There's, a diff, there's, there's different locations. There's more characters as well, obviously, to, to pad it out. Um, and I don't think they've wasted anything. Like I say, I know that they cut a lot out to do with the character's backstory, in particular the ones that were in the, the house itself, but I don't personally feel like that they're, they're missing anything. Like, I think there's enough development. The main, the main thing in this film is that development and depth for John Kramer, really, and I think they did a staggering job with that. I think, like I say, that him and Detective Matthews are the better and more intriguing scenes of this film. Like, it's so... It's just investing, you know what I mean? Like, you sit there and you're like, I love these chats they're having like I really really do and I like to say that John Kramer is always two or three steps ahead of everyone always ahead of him like he's such a great character and great performance again from Tommy Bell loved it absolutely love him in this one I'm gonna leave it there I think did I give Saw, Saw 1 like a 9 or a 10 but this this for me is like a strong 8 anyways for, for sequ- as sequels go like I can see why people do think this is better and why they dig it so much and yeah I, I, I love Saw 1 and Saw 2 an awful lot um, saw one obviously more so but yeah really good sequel all the same but I'd love to know your thoughts as well listen so I've waffled on an awful lot like let me know what your favourite trap is of Saw 2 let me know your favourite character or this and that or like were you a fan of the twist obviously I know that it's going to be a pretty difficult to beat the first one obviously the first twist because that was just like where's that come from let me know your favourite twist as well of the entire saga obviously maybe I'll say except the first one because it's the best but what's your other favourite twist of the films do get in touch obviously on Facebook on Instagram all that jazz but just really appreciate you listening. More importantly, leave us a review. That'd be awesome. But again, thank you so much as always for listening to me talk about Saw 2 in this podcast. I'm looking forward to checking out some films. There's some films in January that I'm booking in to see. So you'll be getting fresh reviews on the back of that. But I really enjoyed doing this revisit. I'm looking forward to doing more revisits. And again, thank you for all your comments and suggestions. There's some ideas that have been floating about that will be happening. But anyways, I'm waffling on way too long. Thanking you once again for listening. Until the next episode, take care.